Welcome to Oh Malort, Chicago History You Never Learned in School. I am once again joined by John Zinn. How are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. Happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. We're going to go on a journey over the next few weeks here. I can't wait. Bring on the roller coaster. Oh, all right. What do you know about Ed Burke, a.k.a. Burger King Burke? This is an alderman, right? Yes. Yes. I have, yes, heard tales of the colorful alderman Ed Burke over the years. I don't know a lot about a lot of the details, though. <laughs> I didn't either. I think you might have tried to get me fired at one point in time. I can't wait to hear that one. <laughs> I don't remember specifically. There was a show that was in New York that he wanted tickets for. And I got the tickets, but when he got to the box office, they weren't there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and luckily I had the email, like this is confirmed, but he had asked for my telephone number. So it's a Saturday night. I'm out doing things and I get a call from an angry alderman. Oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it, it goes to show you that I knew that name and that he was an alderman. How many other aldermen could I name from back in the day? except for the couple I dealt with in my neighborhood. He must, I, I feel like he made the news for various things. Oh, yes, he did. We'll get there. Okay. I can't remember. When did you move out of Chicago? 18. Okay. All right. So there's a lot of recent drama that you wouldn't be up on. Okay. He retired this spring after 54 years in office, giving him the longest tenure as an elected official in the state of Illinois. And when I started working on this, and I, it, there, there's some jaw-dropping things that I've discovered. Uh, my mom's, you better be careful that they don't come after you because he <laughs> had way too much power for way too long. And yeah, and he had... He had punitive ways. Like I talked about Ed Burke to like another coworker who lived, grew up in his ward. And was like, oh yeah, he tried to get me fired, which means that was his way. He had grudges. Yeah. He had grudges. There's going to be a glossary happening along this episode a little bit. This is setting down the foundation of Ed Burke. It's 54 years in office. I'm not going to be able to hit everything. I'm hitting the greatest hits, but we're first just going to create Ed Burke kind of by the decade, the greatest hits of the decade. In Chicago, we are governed by alders or aldermen. And since the 1970s, 30 of them have gone to jail. It's not funny, but it's Chicago. <laughs> it's Chicago. And when our most recent city council started in May, it was notable that none of our aldermen were currently under federal indictment. <laughs> Congrats, y'all. <laughs> we did it. We did it. And, and But the key word there is currently. In fact, there is a website called hasmyaldermanbeenindicted.com. I'm sure it's heavily trafficked. <laughs> and... Sometimes when we're talking about indicted alders here in Chicago, we have to make sure we're talking about the same one. Now, how would you define patronage? It's like the power to do, if power kind of coalesces in one person to to make appointments and get things done. Is that somewhat? Yes. 
So there's two types of patronage. There's pinstripe patronage, which I'm going to read um, from the Encyclopedia of Chicago History. Mm-hmm. Pinstripe patronage is a form of corporate and professional political favoritism that emerged in place of the more traditional patronage following successful litigation targeting the latter in the 1970s and 1980s. Patronage, a major cog of so-called machine politics, enabled quote-unquote bosses to dominate urban politics in the 19th century until the 1950s and in Chicago until the 1980s. Way to have a long run with Chicago. (laughs) Had a long (laughs) They go on to say in a series of rulings known as the Shackman Decrees, the federal judiciary did you, that doesn't sound right, but I'm just going to go with it. Ruled that the city of Chicago employees could not be fired or hired as political punishment or reward. These rulings went to the heart of the exchange model of political control, wherein bosses gave or withheld public employment in return for electoral support at the polls. After Shackman, Chicago political leaders shifted the emphasis of patronage to major accounting and law firms, banks, and corporations by steering public business to those who help maintain the regime in power. So just so I get it, the Shackman decrees made it illegal politically to deal with pol- uh, politicians or elections, but then they shifted over to getting favors from businesses. Getting favors from businesses, steering businesses that way, steering, in the case of Ed Burke, we'll get there. So this is also known as Chicago-style politics. So basically what is happening until the 80s, and I don't think it's really gone. I think it's gone now, but I even remember happening around Millennium Park. There was so much patronage. It was ridiculous. This is also what they call Chicago-style politics. So back to Ed Burke. The Chicago Sun-Times dubbed him the most powerful alderman and Chicago magazine of the 100 most powerful Chicagoans. He was a Democrat, right? Huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I don't know that we've had an elected Republican official in Chicago since the early 1900s. Oh, he's also been called, quote unquote, thoroughly corrupt by federal prosecutors. (laughs) Or stars of corruption by variety. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert for all of this. He's got a trial starting at the beginning of November. Why I'm timing it now is it can be like a primer as he goes into his trial. We're going to spend the next several weeks going over a stunning display of corruption and racism. Yeah. From the Chicago Reader article titled Good Riddance, Ben Jorvaski wrote, The thing you need to know about Ed Burke, above all else, is he just may be the worst alder person in the history of bad alder people. And that is something. That's saying something. He goes on to say, I can't think of one good thing he accomplished for the city as a whole since he took over for his father, who died in office in 1969. Oh, okay. And then 
they go on to say in this reader article, far from listing Burke's achievements, you have to go in the other direction and enumerate the bad things he did, like his Mount Rushmore of awfulness. Shockingly, the mainstream press is not nearly as harsh on Burke because he was punitive. Chicago Magazine wrote a article, actually a guy named Edward McClellan, guy I know, wrote an article called Ed Burke is maybe finally done. And in this article, they state, Ed Burke loves to flaunt his power, living in a three-story Gage Park compound that the Sun-Times once called a palace, wearing expensive pinstripe suits with green ties and handkerchiefs, sporting a pinky ring, helping his wife onto the Illinois Supreme Court, and monopolizing the city council floor for lengthy speeches in which he quotes Winston Churchill, Horace Greeley, and the proverbial wise man. Burke has aspired to higher offices, congressman, state attorney, mayor, but has never made it out of the city council. As long as he stays there, he wants everyone to know he's the biggest fish in the pond. So I think we've established the overall vibe of Burger King Burke. Yep, we get the mojo, yep. Yep, you got it, you got it. He's always in a pinstripe. And apparently I met a guy that went to law school with him. We'll get to his law degree. He wore a pin, he dressed like that when he was still in his 20s. Now on to the specifics of the man himself. And so this episode will bring us back in, bring us up to the 1980s. So we are in, we are fully entrenched in the old school patronage. He was born in 1943. His father, Joseph, was a Cook County cop who worked as a bailiff. He served as a Democratic committeeman in the 14th Ward, and in, in 1953, he became alderman. And back then, the 14th Ward, back of the yards, is mentioned. Okay. It's moved east a lot. We'll get into that later. <laughs> Okay. Uh, as a youngster, Ed accompanied his dad to work, being an alderman. He was also one, him and Mayor Daly, Richie II, were one year apart. In age. Okay. In age. He graduated from Quigley and from DePaul University in 1965. <laughs> he did think about becoming a priest but decided to pursue another job suitable for an Irish Catholic in Chicago. Any guesses? City council. Before that. Oh, before that. Cop? Cop, yes. Assigned to the state's attorney's office, which was most likely at the behest of his father. The Chicago Tribune did a timeline on his career, and they wrote the following. Alderman John Hoellen, 47th Ward, and Alderman Edward T. Scholl, 41st Ward, include Burke's name among 22 police officers who say they received promotions as a result of, quote, political influence and favoritism, end quote. Mm. Burke later told the Tribune that 
he was not a regular beat officer. Instead, he was given a plum assignment working on a police detail assigned to the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. He said, this is Burke saying this, it was a political office and the selection of who was assigned to the details was generally made with political considerations. So right off the bat, we've got some patronage happening. Yeah, already. <laughs> it's also worth noting that it wasn't a dangerous police job. And one of the things that happened, I don't know, is that people who grow up and want to be cops and like their moms are afraid, they get cushier, cushier police jobs. Like the entire Marine unit is never going to really not be a cushy police job because you're not dealing with the mean streets of Chicago. You're dealing with drunk idiots who fell off their pontoon boat. He, meanwhile, while he's being a cop, he started attending law school at DePaul University. And in 1968, he received his JD. He married Anne that same year. Also, his dad died that year. Now, 1968, we had a little war going on, a little war the country is involved in. They were drafting people. Mm -hmm. He, because he was a full-time student, he was able to get a draft deferment while he was going to school. Being a young newlywed with a widowed mother and two younger brothers, he asked for a hardship deferment, but the Illinois Selective Service Board of Appeals said nope. He was eligible to serve. At that same time, he joined the United States Army Reserve 363rd Civil Affairs Group. Some people thought this was fishy, but evidently the U.S. Army conducted an investigation and they found no evidence of clout being used. Mm, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. His 1968 was, this is probably pre- Pre, I don't know the exact month prior to the Democratic National Convention, Daly was like the most powerful person in the Democratic Party. Gotcha. I'm not saying it did. The army said it didn't happen. I'm not so convinced, but it's also not the worst thing he's done. So he left his job as a cop to become the 14th Ward's Democratic Committee man. And in March of 1969, there was a special election for the alderman, and Burke won. There were six candidates, and he got 11,204 votes. The candidate who came in second got 1,460 votes. Say those numbers one more time. Sorry. So he got, he got 11,204 votes. Yeah. The second place guy got 1,460 votes. Oh, holy Motown. Okay. So he won by a landslide. Yeah. Making sure. him the youngest alderman to be sworn in. And he's sworn in on March 14th, 1969 by Mayor Richard J. Daly. Okay. In 1971, he became the chair of the Police and Fire Committee. Which makes sense because he was a police officer. He's from the police. In 1972, he joined forces with Ed Verdoliak, a.k.a. 
Fast Eddie and the finance chair, Thomas King, forming a dissident coffee caucus. And they were called the Young Turks. They wanted to make the party have a younger vibe. And in fact, at one point in time, Burke expressed desire to punch fellow alderman Leon Dupre in the nose. And he said he would have done it if he wasn't so old. Fabulous. This is, yeah. Now, do you know anything about Fast Eddie? I remember hearing this name, but I don't. Okay. One cannot fully fathom slow Ed Burke without understanding Verdroliac. In Chicago Magazine, an article entitled, Oh, How the Mighty Three Eddies Have Fallen, colon, the tales of Verdroliac, Burke, and Kelly are a lesson in what happens to politicians when they outlive their power. Mm. Also by Ed McClelland. Sorry, I can't say. Okay. He says, Verdroliac, the most powerful of the Eddies, has fallen the Fallen the furthest after losing the 1987 mayoral election to Washington, he joined the Republican Party, a fatal move in Chicago. None of his old precinct captains would follow him into the party of Reagan. He lost races for clerk of the circuit court and again mayor. Verdoliak retired to a lucrative law practice, so lucrative that he has twice been imprisoned for earning money he shouldn't have. Right. What? Is this the dude that, do I remember this correctly, that he had a, a radio talk show at some point? Is that true or is that somebody else? I think that's somebody else. Okay. All right. Never mind. In 1975, the city council passed Burke's Law which outlawed nudity in massage parlors. Ironically, when I Googled Burke nudity massage parlors, the top search results were another alderman who we call the Viagra alderman. Who got caught in a massage parlor or something? He he had a whole thing, yeah. He's also ultimately... The person who would lead to the Burke indictments. In 1976, I'm now going to read. I've just got to tell you some of the titles of these articles that I'm going to be reading to you themselves are hilarious. But this one is from a Chicago Reader article titled, Chicago once waged a 40-year war on pinball. I just don't doubt it. <laughs> and they go on to say, pinball might have been legalized in Chicago in 1976, if not for the efforts of a very familiar face on the city council. That would be Alderman Ed Burke. Yes, the same guy who rules the 14th Ward today. Mayor Daly was in favor of lifting it and then taxing it. His plan to tax individual machines and licensing operators promised to raise a million annually. But during a finance committee hearing about the proposal in November 1976, Burke helped delay it. He complained that organized crime in Chicago would benefit from the legalization of pinball and feared that school children would spend all their lunch money. 
So the mob is hanging out with school children. <laughs> okay. I think I'm going to put it in the show notes, this whole article from the reader, but people treated pinball like it was gambling. Like it was ruining the youth. I, I'm just, I was just going to ask you, is the argument against it because a gambling addiction? I, I, have, I don't know if that could happen with pinball. It did have mob ties. It did. The, it uh, did. Like the mach- machines and putting them in bars and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the article, and I'll include it again in the show notes, like talks about this 15 year old who like, plays pinball and they would literally talk about it like he's just playing gaming all day. It's just same stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess you could bet on the outcome of the games and then, then you get into gambling. So this incident was a bit of an aha moment for me when it comes to local politics. Because I'm actually all for the idea of legalizing, taxing, licensing, and increasing city revenue. Why wouldn't any politician be in favor of it? Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned, pinball machines were tied to organized crime. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I talked to someone who lived in Chicago during this time, and the suggestion was that Burke tried to shake down the mob and failed. Like, anything you look at, you want to let we bring up that there there is a personal benefit to Ed Burke. I know politicians at the national level are paid off and we call it special interest and the local level, we call it corruption. And I might've been swimming in Ed Burke too long, but Am I cynical in questioning the motives of any local politician, even when it comes to benign legislation? And especially, why are you spending so much time on pinball? There's something that we're not seeing. You're getting a benefit from this somehow. And here's another example. And this is um, an example from current city council. Uh, A Burke cohort recently put forth an ordinance to require permits for the little free libraries. Oh my God. <laughs> Just so somebody could make money off those permits. That's gross. Yeah, but I'm like literally now just, and maybe not so much now. Um, other things that we're not going to really get into, but I'll bring it. Other things, Ed Burke is profoundly responsible for trying to usher in a nanny state in Chicago. He wanted to ban trans fats in restaurants, the faux gras thing. He wanted to ban energy drinks. What was the deal there? There was going to be, I didn't read too much. I skimmed it. Um, the guy who was saying that the type of caffeine wasn't right, but then there could be different, there's an ingredient that he didn't like, but then there are other energy drinks that don't have that ingredient that are more expensive that could have been sold in Chicago. Yeah. So it's interesting just, and I look at it, like you'll hear somebody in 
some small, usually you hear about it from the, the right wingers, like some city council in some small town or some liberal town, like Seattle does something. And I feel like we should just start questioning the motivations more of our politicians. Yeah. As you say, especially local, right? Because we don't, we probably don't think of that as much. Is, all right, you can cut this out if you want to, but the that, that Alderman character that Justin Kaufman from WBEZ used to do, Alderman Ed Buss. Okay. That has, that has to be a parody of Ed Burke, right? I've seen him do it at events and stuff and even on the radio a few times. You should look it up, but I bet it's a parody of... It has to be. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So back to our slow ed. Yeah. The following year, Mayor Mike Belandic, he fires Commissioner of Consumer Sales, Jane Byrne. Okay. We know her. She became mayor. Mm -hmm. She accused her boss of, quote unquote, greasing the path for taxi fare hikes. Taxi fare hikes. Okay. Yeah, working with the taxi companies. Mm -hmm. And she also accused both Ed Burke and Verdoliak of being in bed with the taxi companies. Mm -hmm. Five months later, she runs for mayor, describing herself as an alternate to the cabal of evil men. That was her campaign. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she won... Because there was a blizzard that was handled horribly. Oh, yes. I, I remember this story. Yes. Yeah. People were very up in arms about that. In 1980, Burke ran for Cook County State's Attorney. And he lost to Richard M. Daly mm -hmm. in a margin of two to one. Okay. So he got his ass kicked by Daly. Mm -hmm. um, and then I guess I didn't know this because I was a little kid then, but Richard II was the Kim Fox equivalent during the Tylenol murders. Oh, really? He was like that, that position during the Tylenol murders? Yeah. I did not remember that either. I, and it never came up in any of the research because I would have pointed out that the man who later became mayor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And yeah. so we've made it through the basically first decade and some change of Burke being the alderman. Not, not particularly, it's, I think it's just your kind of run of the mill patronage happening. One thing that they said about him in an article I read written in 1997 is that he's super smart. Hmm. And when he starts getting caught for stuff, it surprises people that he's super smart. And he was probably able to keep his, his cover the trail, right? Cover the trail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that is where we're going to end this week's episode. It's a shorter one. Fascinating. Oh my gosh. Any thoughts? 
This is fascinating. I didn't know that his, I, I really didn't know that his story had this long an arc. And I just feel that it's going to be, it's going to weave in and out of a lot of other Chicago things, right? It's Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Spoiler alert. He was also Trump's personal attorney on Trump Tower. Oh, I have no doubt. Yes. Yeah. There's just so many things that it's just, you're going to like weave in and out. My fascination with Ed Burke is it's a function of Mike Royko and being syndicated that my dad followed it. My dad's the one who told me about Fast and Slow Eddie. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And Burke is the poster child for modern day corruption. The only question is also Mike Madigan is having a trial right now. Remember Speaker yeah. of the House? And yeah. my personal trainer is who do you think is more corrupt? Ed Burke or Mike Madigan? And I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> It's all these high-profile people with corruption, like Blagojevich. That seems to be the news. But then there's these people like Burke who have just been plugging away at it for that long. He was in office for that long, and he was benefiting. Oh, we'll get into how. Right. I want to go back to he lives in Gage Park in a, a, what they call a palace. Mm-hmm. And it's Gage Park is a working class neighborhood. Right. And he has like a multi-million dollar home. Yeah. Millions of dollars to put towards his campaign funds. $12 million at one point in time. The Chicago Magazine did, they talked about, it's a way too long a quote, but trying to do an interview with Ed Burke and his entire wall in his office at City Hall is covered from top to bottom with political cartoons of him. Mm -hmm. The coffee cups are monogrammed. Mm -hmm. It's a whole, yeah, the pinky ring, the whole thing is, I remember him as it was, Chicago was his fiefdom. You didn't say no to Ed Burke. Right. That's what it seemed like. And I'm sure he was in that crowd in that era where you had lunch meetings in that weird back room at Gene and Giorgetti's with steak and martinis, right? Yeah. I'm just assuming, but. Yeah. He had a scandal in 1997 and they weren't even like hiding even then in this, like the writer of the Chicago magazine piece went to the South side St. Patrick's day parade and <laughs> People were like, yeah, see, people talk about politics like it's dirty, but we treat, treat it like it's family. They were still doing patronage in 1997, for sure. For sure, yeah. And the other thing that's, I'm and I'm giving it thought, the thought that occurred to me today is there's eras in how politics work. For example, Richard J. Daly was not a good TV guy. He was a print newspaper guy because he was, elected in 1955 Mm -hmm. Uh, and and when ed burke was originally elected it was really the democratic committee people that went door and did the canvassing the way people get their word out is changing and it's interesting to see in chicago because truth be told in chicago we don't really have elections we have elections where you go vote but usually your alderman is running unopposed. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have to advertise. They don't have to get the word out. And 
but I think each era also brings like Ed Burke's kind of undoing is based on the changing of the media tide. Him bringing his, the machine methodology into a new time, which. Yes. Bringing the machine into, I would say the machine mid nineties after that, like it started to crumble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It started to crumble and I'm doing the, this episode will be airing after, but I'm doing tomorrow. I'm recording on Obama's 2004 campaign. Do you remember how crazy that was? I certainly do. I mean, some points of that, yeah. And I just got off the phone with the guy who broke the story for the Tribune. Oh, cool. That's cool. Yeah. And we, we got some clarification. And one of the things that we talked about was at that point in time, there was a guy who was following Obama around and just taping him all the time. And how creepy you felt reading it in 2004. But now that's that's standard operating procedure because telephones are easier to have recording devices. Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, but yeah, so it's like trying to bring the machine in. There's just by virtue of, even if they don't want the transparencies there. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's way easier to, if you're an out, because here's the other thing: it's for a long time everyone in Chicago knew that how you how the game is played. You're like that's how the game is played, but if you came in from the out of town and you're like, "What the hell is happening here?" You didn't have a lot of recourse. Yeah. Now there's millions of ways for you to be like, "Yo, this guy just tried to shake me down." I caught this on video or my cameras caught this on him leaving with the mob or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Just be like, right. In the ago times, they would just be like, nah, that didn't happen. Right. I don't know what you're talking about. I think it was easier for politicians to lie then than it is now, but I'm going to bring up my favorite lie that a politician has said recently. And maybe we can have some fun with this. Lauren Boebert, they had you on camera. <laughs> I just... Oh. I, so first, I love the way this whole thing unfolded. Because first I'm like, you can't vape in the theater. And I didn't for not for one minute doubt she wasn't vaping. Oh, and yeah. then, because she's such an, I'm going to go with it, on culture to dumb. She tweets out, the only thing I'm guilty of is singing too loudly. She was at a musical. So I have two questions. Number one, listeners, if you've never been to a musical, you don't sing along. Just okay. Just... Number two, who has all the lyrics to Beetlejuice memorized? Beetlejuice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then flash photography. Somebody on Twitter, they should have told her. I'm like, first of all, if she goes to the theater often enough that. Second of all, they do make an announcement. At the beginning of every performance, because it's illegal. Mm -hmm. Then, the petting. Yes, yes. The sexual activity. <laughs> Which makes me think back to some of the customer complaints we got. Like, people having sex during rent. Mm -hmm. But I'm also going to go with that person was probably not a sitting U.S. 
House of Representative member. I know. I talked to a front of house friend of mine, former front of house friend of mine, who was like, God, do we have to add no foreplay to the pre-show announcement? And then the flipping off of the staff, the whole thing. And she thought that she could lie and get away with it. Yeah. Just the fact that she, the things she did were witnessed by so many people. I didn't do that. You you did. You you did. And and then people are like, I can't believe that they've got like night vision. I'm like, this should not shock anybody that the theaters have closed circuit television. That's night vision. No, you do understand that there is security in the theaters. Yes. And this was a, a, a large theater. This was no... It was not a storefront, my friend, that you took your activity to. It was a very large theater that was very full of With witnesses, turns out. And children. So no drag queen Bobert is engaged in sexual activity with her Democrat boyfriend. Right. And now she's like trying to say you should always ask party affiliation. So was this your first date with this guy? And if so, wow. Um, I love, of course, love the further, the, the layers of hypocrisy are many and varied. But just the fact that the bar he owns has had drag nights. It's yes. Like, right? It's not. The hypocrisy isn't a problem for them. No. It's almost like one of the main, I think we know who brought it. Or who showed them it was okay, but it's like one of their main tools now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because can you imagine if AOC did that? Yeah. Can you imagine if a, who, Mayor Pete did that? Yeah. As a gay man? Yeah. But I also think part of what you're seeing in that she's young enough that she should know how it works. But some of these people just are so not equipped to be politicians in this realm. Yeah, but it's, it's it brings me back. I know we're going down different rabbit holes now, but it's all, it just brings me to, wow. I know people don't research who they're vo- voting for, but people really don't research who they're voting for. Or is it really that they don't care? Because two issues are the most important to them and they don't care. They don't what some of them apparently don't care if their president gets elected from jail. I think it is that they either don't know who they're voting for or they don't care. George Santos. Yes, yeah. Hot mess. Yes. One of the things that Rick Pearson, who covered the Obama thing, was telling me how he did not want Mike Dicka to run. Mike Dicka was considering running. Because he didn't want to do the opposition research on him. He didn't want to vet him. He didn't, he's like, I don't want to take down Chicago's hero. Mm. But yeah, like the paper, like like how George Santos made it through is amazing to me. It's insane. And, or it's even like when Herman Cain ran in the primary. Mm-hmm. And it came out that he had paid someone off for sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. Do you not think that stuff's going to come out? 
I think 45 has given everybody a template to be like, yeah, it's going to come out, but just. Yeah. I'm talking about before that, before. That was before. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is going to be a journey. So far we have by Chicago standards, Melba toast corruption, but soon we will have a cinnamon swirl of corruption and racism. The good news is there's a nice payoff at the end because, as I mentioned, he's going on trial soon. So next week, listener, we're going to discuss the 1980s, mostly focusing on what is known as the Council Wars. Thank you. Yeah. Don't look those up, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. Hit the subscribe button quicker than school kids waste their lunch money on pinball machines. Leave a five-star review with the glee in which Ed Burke tries to ban energy drinks. And tell your friends so you can form a coffee coalition of O'Malort stands. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.